Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Greetings in Jesus' name. Can we greet our streaming family in the room? God bless you all. I hope you brought an appetite in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, 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 have, a, I have an assignment today, and I just need you to open your heart, if you would. We're in our series on the threshold. We're still talking about Caleb. Thank God. And today, Caleb, the great heart. Beloved, did you know when God wants to teach you something, he doesn't send a principle, he sends a person. Have you noticed that? When, when Israel needed redemption, he didn't send a person or a command. He sent Moses. He sent a baby. And you remember Joseph. When Joseph was taken and his strange life took its odd course, God sent the supply before the demand. He sent Joseph before there was any visible need for him. And poor Joe did not know what was going on. So I'm talking to some folks that are looking at the landscape of their life right now saying, what's going on? Hold on. Hold on. God sent the supply before the demand when he sent Joseph out of the promised land into Egypt. It, was, it seemed catastrophic. It was the hand of God. And when God blesses, he didn't send a principal to Egypt. He sent a person. He sent a little 17-year-old boy who had no idea why he was being airlifted from his secure home into a foreign land. But did you know, after Joseph grew and matured, the Bible says God sent a famine that would call Joseph forward, that would call the only person forward who was the answer to every question, who was the antidote to famine. And today we're going to look at Caleb. And Caleb is the antidote, hear me well, the antidote to hoarding. Beloved, do you know what greed is? Well, I'd never be greedy. Greed is trusting in money. Trusting and putting your full weight and confidence on something other than God. You say, Craig, I'm not greedy. What, 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 what do we talk? Well, we're going to look at Caleb today because did you know God's sending a person? And we look at this beautiful man. He's now, he was 85 when he came in. He's 108 now. Moses is dead. Joshua is dead. Caleb has fulfilled. All of his dreams have come true. Did you know when all of your dreams come true, you are subjected to a unique temptation as at no other time in your life? You're tempted to hold on to what you have and to hoard what you've gained because it took your life and death to get it. Now we want to be sober and vigilant and responsible in the affairs of the Lord. Mm. There's one step between that and greed, one step between that and hoarding. And I want to ask you today, who's the most generous person you've ever met in your life? Forget financially, just who was the greatest heart you've ever known of generosity? Spirit, soul, body, mind, heart, who? Are you generous?
Does your presence open up a scattering of blessing wherever you go? When you're on the phone, when you greet someone, when they leave you, are they drenched with unbelievable fountains of life? Or are they starving to death? Caleb, we're going to focus on one aspect. He appears in our narrative one more time, one more time. He's 108. He's achieved all of his dreams. And yet we're going to see him do something in his appearance the last time we see him that is staggering and is the key to how we are going to survive in the next six months. Because the enemy is attacking the body of Christ right now with a fear causing her to hoard, to hold back, to close her fist and hand. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Look at this economy. I, I don't know. I want to be sober and vigilant and responsible. And so your open hand of generosity slowly begins to become a clenched fist. Listen to my text today. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Isn't that beautiful? It's the imagery of an open hand representing the liberal fat soul, the giver, the what. Do you know what Caleb does as he's, as, as he's ready to pass off the scene? Caleb is 108. He's standing now on the cusp. He was of the first generation of everyone who'd known the slavery of Egypt and had seen God's mighty deliverance. He, of all people, he was one of only two, he and Joshua, that saw, and they were slaves, and who witnessed the hand of God striking Pharaoh, opening the Red Sea. He was at Mount Sinai. He saw the cloud. He saw the glory. He ate the manna. Forty years in the wilderness, this man has seen it all, and he's gone over the land, and God has used him to conquer it. We're now seven years or so in to the conquest, and he's received Hebron. Everything he's ever wanted with regard to his dreaming has come true. So, Craig, if my dreams could just come true. Well, if they do, watch out. Watch out. Because it only seems responsible to hold on. Hey, clenched fist, what you doing? Well, I'm just uh, investing. I'm being responsible with what God has given me. Look in your tight fist. What's in there? Uh, nothing. Uh-oh, what happened? Imagine your hand in a vat of jello and squeeze it as tight, tightly closed as you can. What do you got? Nothing. A, a clenched fist cannot receive anything because it's not open. And it can't hold anything because everything is already gone. God said, you know, there's, a, there's an amazing principle in the kingdom. My people who know me and have an I-thou relationship with my generous heart, they're the soul of generosity. Like Caleb. Here he is. He's on the brink. And he's looking over into the 
third generation. He is of the first generation. He's seen the second generation come and go. And Judges chapter 2 says, after Joshua dies, and that's already happened, and the elders that knew him die, there arose a third generation that knew not the Lord. Watch out for the third generation. Did you know in the history of American business, no major business withstands the third generation? The first generation fought with their blood. They're Abraham. They're the altar builders. They gave everything to make that business work. The second generation ate the fruits of the labor and are a little entitled. We're going to, pay, we're going to pee Paris, and then after that, we're going to uh, Rome. And then, uh, thank God for Daddy and Mommy. We'll pray for them. Lord, thank you for Daddy and Mommy. Second generation benefits. They get spoiled. Third generation grandkids, don't give them the business. They don't, they're, they're, they don't even remember pow-pow <laughs> who started the business and worked until his fingernails fell off. They barely even honor their parents who inherited what pow-pow did. And now they just want to go and have a pow-pow party. Where are we going? We're going to go party. And, and they inherit the business. You know what they do? They wreck it. 13% of family-started businesses fail in the third generation. Why? Well, there's nothing wrong. Well, we're not going to diss anybody now, but we're going to point out a biblical principle that is so important. It's usually the third generation that didn't build it and benefited from it, but they don't even remember that, and now they're just sort of like, you know, it's like third generation in a church. Everybody's on fire for God. Second generation, mm, little mild, mild, moderate. Third generation, they do not know spiritual principles. They don't know the Christian worldview. And they're just all like whatever. You know what I mean? You know, all roads lead somewhere. I don't remember what that is. But, you know, you're up the mountain and there's many ways to approach. The, just, yeah, wait a minute. You're just, a, you're just three generations. Yeah, it only takes one generation for everything to go to hell in a handbag. Now, I'm speaking an encouraging word today. We are living in a third generation culture. Whoopsie doodle. How do you function as a first generation saint who's still alive? I remember when the Holy Ghost <laughs> used to come in. <laughs> Hi. Oh, pow, pow, shut up. Could you put him down or... Just give him a shot, or you know, call the Kevorkian. <laughs> pow, pow. You know, grandma with her tambourine and no teeth. You know, you say, what do you get in the front uh, row of a Wayne Newton concert? A full set of teeth. Well, when you meet those first generation saints that are still, I knew him, <laughs> he would good. And then your mommy and daddy were a little bit more sophisticated, but, you know, lost the fire. Just one, not a voice, but an echo, you know. The fire just didn't burn in anymore, but there's, there are coals on the altar still smoking with mom and dad. But now you inherit a dead altar. Caleb is on the threshold, but hear me out. It's all good news. It's all good news at Beth Hell. As my friend used to call us, or he used to call us Beth Allen on. <laughs> oh, you went to Beth Hell? So did I. No, so <laughs> it's all good news here. So I want you to see Caleb is on the cusp from the first generation, just about ready to go home and be with the Lord. But what does he do? Because, beloved, Caleb the great heart is going to show us 
the encouraging, generous heart of God. And he is going to mentor. He's going to do something old people never do. He's going to give up everything he has and be an open hand in life and an open hand in death. And he is going to mentor Othniel. His successor is going to be the first judge in Israel. And he's going to marry his daughter, Asa, to him. And we'll get into that in the next three weeks. He says, by faith, three is the number of divinity. He's probably going to take six weeks. That's right. I'll take as long as I need. But I want to show you something in Caleb's whole story. He's been the great heart. He's been generous. He's giving. He's giving of life, love, hope. He is of a different spirit from the very beginning. Two million people. Ten of the spies said, we cannot take the land. Caleb stood up one man alone against two million people. And he said, we are well able to take the land. Let us go up at once. Their defenses have departed from them. They are meat for our table. What a generous heart. Caleb, can you imagine not seeing him in a room? You'd see him. You might, that's the guy you want to go up and hug. That's the guy with the hugging ministry right there. Caleb, generous. The so, an open-handed man. What does it mean? What is Solomon talking about? A generous, liberal, giving heart is like an open hand. It can receive everything. It doesn't hold on to anything. And you know what? You're not an eight-ounce glass. You're an eight-ounce glass with the bottom knocked out. You're a hose. You're in the zone. God can do anything through you at any time, everywhere, left, right, and center. There is no bottom to your containing because you know God is your source, and he is the soul of generosity. Look at the cross of your precious Lord Jesus Christ as he generously scatters himself opinioned like a clown for you. He says, I will give everything. I will withhold nothing, and I will pour all of heaven out to you to show you how generous your Father is. Now, in turn, freely receive, freely give. An open-handed Savior. Generosity in human flesh. But before our Lord, Caleb was the great heart. So, so what, where am I going with all this today? Acts 20, 35, Paul said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for the measure that you measure out shall be measured back to you again. Is he talking about money? Absolutely not. Does it apply? Absolutely. But he wants more than moolah. A generous, open-handed person is generous with their time, their love, their space, their stuff. But it's, you see, it's, diff- it's deeper than cash. And God bless all the money in the world. Amen. But he's talking beyond that. Caleb had everything. Caleb was not thinking all the time. 
about money. He's, he's eating manna every day, but he's the only one, he and Joshua, that were going, thank God for this manna. Thank God for this bread without seed. Thank God that one day we're going to eat the new corn of the land. But boy, we're so grateful. It tastes like angel's food. Thank you, God. Oh, there's water out of a rock again. How does he do it? Look at my shoes don't wear out. Oh, my God. Oh, can you just stop, Mr. Sunshine, Mr. Sparky Sanguine? You know, it's just a personality glitch. I'm a cleric. You're a closed fist, you nasty thing. Don't you dare. If you know the great love, open heart of Jesus Christ and you belong to him, you will be infected with generosity. People are just going to go, I don't know what it is about her. You don't need to jump and do jumping jacks and hug everybody and be that as a love language, but you do need to be whatever you are, the soul of generosity. The Bible says, listen to this, one person gives freely and gains even more. Do you know what? This doesn't make sense. Do you know nothing in God's kingdom makes sense? These are called paradoxes. But, you know, Caleb knew and understood the mind of God, so he understood. Paradoxes are things that sound crazy, but they're true. Is that a kingdom principle, Craig? Oh, yes, it's a kingdom principle. Do you know how many it's taken me 50 years to learn these? Here's, here's some, here's some <laughs> examples. Are you ready? These are paradoxes that Caleb got and understood. What about the first exaltation through humility? Did you know in the, in the Bible, when you get to know God and his ways, they look less strange because he doesn't work the way people do? He exalts through humility. Usually you exalt yourself and you use your power like the Gentile powers would do to get what you want and get your way and hoard. That's called greed. God says, oh, absolutely not. you got to let all that go. Humble yourself like you're going to die unless I intervene and I'll raise you up in my kingdom. What about this one? Receiving through giving. That's another paradox. Wait a, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. You mean I want more? I got to hoard. If I want more, I got to invest. If I want more, I got to put a billion dollars in my billion dollar no-no fund nobody knows about. What's that? You no no ever touch that, but you know in your mind, you know, things get rough in the world and you can always lean on the comfort of the no-no fund. Now, the Lord says, in the days to come, Unless you belong to me, there ain't going to be no, no, no fun that anybody can lean their full weight on. Because did you know the Bible says in a moment he blows on it, it's gone. I always say money talks. Mine says bye-bye. <laughs> only God, only God says you want to receive in my kingdom, give. Wait, wait a minute. If I give, I'm going to be destitute, and then there won't be enough, <laughs> and we're going to be eating dirt. <laughs> and have you ever eaten dirt? Anybody under the sound of my voice, have the thing you ever feared come upon you? You live in the top 2% of the wealth of the world. And you're complaining, I don't know, what are we going to do? We can't go to Hawaii for the fifth time this year. I'm going to pull my pants way up waiting for the flood. What are we going to do? Oh, chicken little, the sky is falling. Oh, yeah. We have first world problems, darling. They're first world problems. Oh, we had one the other day. Guess what it was? Horrifying. I just don't want to shock you with trauma. I booked a movie for Brooke, and it was booked a day later. So she showed up, and it was for Saturday, not Friday. <laughs> oh! 
My, my stepson Solomon used to go, you know, when he wouldn't get his way at all, I'd go, no, honey, we're going to have to wait for dessert till later. And he would go, God, if you're all loving and all powerful, why? <laughs> He's like 10, mocking. <laughs> honey, you can only have one, one poppet right now, one popsicle. If you're loving, I'd go, okay, here he goes again. He's also the same kid that would go, Behold the humble servant of the Lord. Behold you, ma'am, in the back. Look at his humble servant. That's what he used to do. <laughs> and we'd go to in and out and he'd get the food in front of him, and he'd just go, Let the worship service begin. Amen. <laughs> Caleb knew in an eye-thou intimacy the generous God of heaven, and he stood out among everyone, even above Joshua. It's Caleb. But he's about to die. What is he leaving? What can he teach us about how do you reach the third generation? By the way, it says they forgot God. It's like, you know, forgot you. God who? God who? I'm looking at God in the mirror. Ooh, you're looking pretty good, your majesty. They forgot the Lord, it says. How can that happen in, in one step? It does, and it did. Read the book of Judges. You go, I can't believe these confounded fools. No, 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 no. It's you. You're looking at you in the mirror. We're the ones that believe in him until we don't get our way, and then we're broken, and then we just follow off after whatever it is we're leaning on other than him. Remember, idolatry is not worshiping Baal. It's putting anything that is good in the place of God's throne seat in our heart. Good children, good spouse, good provision, good condo, good house. Praise God. And before you know it, in one step, you're eye-itting God, and you're trying to eye-thou a piece of gold. What's the matter? Listen to this. Listen to this. Let me read something. Now, this is, again, one of those Old Testament prophets. We call him a minor prophet, Haggai. Again, read his book because you're going to see him in heaven, and you know how he gets. Read it. It's a few chapters. Just please. Because he's going to come up all needy and go, did you read my book? And you're going to say, Haggai, oh, God, yes, Pastor Craig. Okay, here it is. Listen, listen. He's, this is the people of God. They've come back into the land, and instead of building, they start building the temple, and then they, they fall asleep midway and so they'd go back to paneling their own houses for like 15 years and they forget the house the house of god's in ruins but they're doing fantastic they're just they're they're fixing the kitchen and they're enlarging for an extra prayer room haggai 1 verse 2 listen this is what the lord almighty says these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the lord's house well, let us put that on hold for a moment the lord has been around for eternity you can wait <laughs> Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. How'd you like this to be your word for your generation? Is it time for you yourselves to be living it in your panel houses while the house of the Lord remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and everything else in the ground that produces and the people and the livestock and all the labor of your hands. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it makes sense. But here, what I want you to see is we live in a time now where God doesn't have to lean over his throne and make a specific, you know, adjudicated judgment that I'm going to blow on, I'm going to put holes in your pocket. But isn't that a horrible image? You put all the money you work all week for in your pocket, and there's holes in your pocket. You get home, and there's nothing there. And you go, wait a minute, I just worked 50 hours. (laughs) Where is it? God said, oh, you didn't realize it, but you went from being open-handed in all of your way. You were generous. You saw me. I gave you this land. You're building me a house. You already built the altar, but you got midway through, and all of a sudden, that hand started to, but now, you know, times are rough. There's a drought, you know, coming into the, and the fist goes from an open hand to a clenched fist, which, by the way, has nothing in it. Take a look. Do you remember the movie with Clooney and all the Vegas guys? What was that called again? Hmm? Oceans. Remember the oceans where they rob Andy Garcia? He's like really gotten mad, and so they're going to, they do this elaborate conspiracy to rob every dime out of his casinos and everything. I'm sorry to break it to you, but it was like Oceans 24, so you'll have to breeze through to see what I'm saying. But it was this gorgeous plot, and you keep seeing it, and it's so intricate, and it's so involved, but the goal is to get Andy Garcia to go up to the roof and look at his security, which is all rooted in these diamonds and this whole stuff, and they've already taken it off of his thing with a helicopter. I mean, they infiltrate, and it's ever, it takes two hours to unfold, but the Lord says, we do this to ourselves. No, we don't mean to. This is the word mean, mean used to mean, meant stingy. No, you're not stingy. Of course you aren't. You're the most generous people I know. But Caleb, the generous heart, he says, in order to reach the generation where you're going and what you're about to walk into, do not listen to fear in the next little while that would cause you to close your hand. Don't become stingy. Don't be, don't, don't clench a fist. The Lord right now says, keep the flow going, Caleb. Keep it going. Keep it going. Well, things are a little rough over here. Do you know if I ever quit putting gas in people's cars and buying groceries for people and helping people because I didn't have what I thought I should have, I would be dead 33 years ago. But I've learned one thing. It isn't extravagance. It isn't being disrespectful to the provision of the Lord. But it is I will never close my hand ever. If I have it, it's going wherever the Lord tells me to put it. Now, I don't put it everywhere, but he will show the homeless person, say, ignore all of them, Craig, that one right there. I keep cash in the car. I don't carry cash, but I keep enough in the car for my little divine appointment, open-handed moments, because out of 10 folk that are there, my dad always said, you know, Craig, they're probably each making a million dollars a year, and he's got his whole theory. Look at this guy, all hopped up on drugs. No, he isn't. He's a business genius. And he goes all around. I saw a documentary. He goes all around. 
thanks, Dad. He's in heaven now, bless his heart. Acknowledging that everything he ever taught me was wrong. No, 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 no. But you know what I mean? You get the spiel. Yeah, there are some homeless folks. Yeah, you'll be taken occasionally. But I always want an open hand, beloved. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I never want to look at somebody and judge them and diss them and dismiss them. And I ran into one person the other day, and the Lord just, I started sobbing. The Lord said, that is one of my children who's just fallen on hard times, and they've never done this, and they're so mortally embarrassed. And that's where you give the $100 bill. Caleb, an open hand. He is, he is your source in all things. You're his resource when he calls upon you. But I want you to see the principle. Caleb's dreams came true, right? And what does he do? Does he say, I'm the power broker. I'm going to hold this all in. That's it. No, no. He finds his successor and his baby girl, Aksa can talk about her next week. Oh, she's something. Oh, come on now, Daddy. You know what I'm talking about, your baby girl. Oh, my baby girl came out. My life changed. Her name means anklet. She's Daddy's little gold anklet. Daddy's baby. And he gives everything he has. He resigns his leadership post and gives it freely to Othniel, the lion of God. The dog finds a lion. That's next week. To take over. And he grants everything. Everything he fought a lifetime to earn. Everything he fantasized about. He kept him alive for 50 years dreaming about Eshol and Hebron and all of this land flowing with milk and honey. As soon as he gets it, he takes it and he gives it without batting an eye to Othniel and Aksa. Is that us? Are we generous? Do we have everything realizing God is the center? You notice the difference in, in Proverbs uh, 11, 24, and 25 is that there are some people who think it's theirs. Oops. See, Caleb knew the great heart, God. He knew he was his source. Hence, he was generous, and everything he had was in constant, open-handed flow. But there's another man in the Bible whose dreams came true. Jesus tells us a little story about him. Let me read him. This guy, you probably don't recognize his name because we, he doesn't have one. But you can fill in your favorite relative and give him their name. Listen to this story. Here's another man, like Caleb, whose dreams came true. It's in Luke 12, 16. And he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Yet he thought to himself, what shall I do? Listen to the eyes. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I would say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Ooh. Two men have their dreams come true. Caleb the great heart is an open-handed liberal soul. And the Hebrew said the liberal soul shall be made fat. I rest my case. An incarnational fulfillment of the word of the Lord. 
Now, that doesn't mean you skinny people are tight-fisted, but you know your heart. <laughs> it's just the Word of God, that's all. Apply it as you will. You say, well, I'm not Haggai's object of disdain. I'm not, okay, I'm not saying you're anything. What I'm saying is we're moving into a season where things may look a little sketchy and a little tight, and those of us who love the Lord are going to be exhibit A in this season. Why? Because we're billionaires? No, maybe, maybe, but our generosity makes us a window to eternity where when others are dying of stinginess and their tight fists are breaking, you know, sometimes we even want stuff, but we never count the cost. Remember the old story of the monkey paw? The old poor destitute family, they find a monkey paw, it's got three fingers, and they can have a wish for each finger, and, and, the, and, and, and the, the couple and their little son, they're, you know, they're just looking at the monkey paw, and they make one wish, we want $1,000, and one finger disappears. They think, oh, that didn't work, so they throw it in the trash. The, later that day, news comes to the house that their son just died in the mining accident. And the insurance is going to pay them $1,000. Sometimes we don't think what is involved in our requests. Oh, oh, when we lean on the arm of flesh. You know why we do it? I'll just tell you why I do it. Do you know there's always something in my heart that feels so comforted when there's a little pad. You know what I'm saying? You've got $1,000 hidden in the mattress, right? The $1,000 no-no fund. You, did, you, know, you know it's there, and I know it's there, and I go and look at it. Actually, I have a planter in my bedroom, which is a planter of the Emperor Caligula's head that is empty because you put a plant in it. But that's where I was keeping cash, and Arwen knew that. <laughs> She said, you know, there's some cash. And I said, honey, yes, it's Caligula's empty head is useful for a purpose. But it was nice to know. It, there's nothing against being a steward of the funds God gives you. There's nothing against having a billion dollars. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, and you can be guilty of that and not have a dime. I know poor people who are addicted to love of money, and that's why God can never give it to them, because they won't be an open hand, they will be a quenched fist that will sock everybody into unconsciousness. <laughs> Do you ever wonder why God doesn't grant you certain requests at certain points in your life? Because he knows that you would use every, you would murder people with it. I had a friend I knew that, thank God, they never had money because they were always in court all the time suing everybody. And if they ever had money, it would have been the end of the world. God, the triune God would have gone, we're, uh, we got to watch that person there could cause a little trouble. And God will just, he'll dry something up for a season because he doesn't want you to embarrass yourself in the gospel. And everybody said, amen. Preach another sermon to yourself, Craig, and we'll get something eventually, is the theme. All right. <laughs> Two men's dreams come true. Did you know we're living on the brink of God bringing your dreams to pass, but he's going to bring your dreams to pass so like Caleb, the great heart. You will have more to give away. You know, they said, be like a bee in the kingdom. The bee extracts the best out of everything and pollinates everyone. 
We want to be bees. But you know what it also says? The bee has a sting for its enemy and honey for its friends. Be a bee in this <laughs> next season. Have boundaries, but be so without a bottom to your glass that you're a hose through which God can open-handedly bless the world. Everybody. You're gener- Do you know there's a curse called the teacher's curse? Professors, when I was coming up in seminary and I taught in seminary, professors limited the, the, the amount of knowledge they would release to you because they wanted you sort of addicted to their next class and they would never allow you to tape them. Now, I taped every class and course I ever taught. I carried the nastiest cassette uh, device around with cords everywhere, tripping older people in the seminary class. All right? And I'd have to plug this in and plug that in, and Mike wasn't with me, so he'd always go, oh, God, this is going to be horrible. And then I'd get the mic, and I'd put the clip in, and I'd boom, and i play. I recorded everything I ever did, and I recorded just 10 hours beyond that with nothing on it. But the prof- some of the professors I knew said, why do you do that? You're giving everything you have away. And I said, yes, because Jesus said, if I give everything I have, then he's going to always make sure I have more revelation, insight, knowledge. I don't have to fear anything. So I give everything. Well, you might want to withhold that second class or they're not going to show up. No, 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 no. I'm going to make me drinking from a fire hose. I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to put it on tape. Then I'm going to give you the tapes. Now, that could be amended over the last 40 years. I maybe could have had a little no-no fund somewhere. <laughs> give it all away. You know, okay, so we're, we're balanced, okay? I'm not saying don't be responsible, be an idiot. I'm not saying that. But I am saying be so open-handed that most people will think you're an idiot because nobody is that gracious. Do you know in World War II there was a a gentleman and 70% of all the land-moving machines that were used in World War II in Europe and everywhere in the world, he was a Christian, and his company made everything. He was a billionaire back when a billion dollars was a lot of money. And you know what he did? He tied 90% of everything and lived on 10%. He said, here's my philosophy. I shovel it out. God shovels it in, and God's got a bigger shovel. 70% of World War production is coming out of his company. But he knew the Lord, and he was a Caleb. And you know what? It's like a fountain. As soon as you fill up your cup, it's immediately filled immediately again, and there's no reduction because God blows on what you liberally give, and it's not normal, but something transacts when we're serving Jesus. Remember? Everybody was starving, and the little boy brought his lunch. I got five loaves, two fishes. I'm wondering maybe that'll feed uh, half of that woman over there. (laughs) But Jesus took it. And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. And somewhere between them reaching in the bag and pulling something out, they fed 13,000 people with seven bags left over of leftovers to go home. And I think the little boy took that home to mama. Just my theory. It's not in the text, but it preaches. You imagine? He left with that little lunch she made for him, and he comes back dragging all the <laughs> enough food to feed an opera. <laughs> Baby, where'd you get that? I'm hanging out with Jesus, mama. Remember, you've heard me say it a million times. You give to give. You never give to get. See, if you give to get, that's greed. 
You're in control. You're managing it. You're, 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 you don't realize it. But you're, it's tight-fisted giving. I'm going to give a dollar, and he owes me a hundred, and I sow that seed, and I'm going to get a thought. Where is that? Where is that? If you give to get, you are greedy, and you get nothing. God blows. And by the way, if that's your God picture and it doesn't work once, you're going to be mad. And who are you going to be mad at? That God that someone lied to you about. But when you give to give, it's two people in the front row. One gives a $100 bill. One gives a $100 bill. He gave to get, and it's greed, and he gets nothing. He gave to give. She gave to give. And they get. There's no limit. Remember, remember Jesus is in the temple in the court of the women. And all the wealthy are pouring their gold in the 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. Bing, bang, boom, bong, bong, bong. You know, 30 pounds of gold just banged in there. It's a loud place. And it says a little woman woman came along with two mites. And she threw them in. They didn't make a sound, but Jesus heard that. He heard that loud. All of heaven heard that non-existent tinkle. And he hears your tinkle, too. And he called the disciples over and he said, boys, I want to do a little teaching moment here. Here's what's going on. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with generosity. Nothing wrong with everybody giving. But they gave of their abundance and she gave everything she had. That is the open hand. They gave what appeared to be a lot. And it might be. Do you know what? I don't know. What would Elon Musk have to tithe in order for him to go, oh, <laughs> not really you know bill gates whoever mark zuckerberg what would they have to tithe in order to go Ooh, you know that feeling you get when you put the consistent offering in god i could have bought a lot of cheeseburgers with that come on i don't know if you don't have that little <clears throat> you know it's an offering it's not a tithe there's just something about that woman and she didn't give to get, and she didn't know she was being watched. But did you know the Son of God is watching us all the time? And he calls the disciples over. He goes, boys, I know we're in the temple and there's a lot to look at, but come here, I want you to see the most sacred thing in the world. An open-handed little soul here just gave everything she had. Let's make sure. And I'm sure he gave the angels orders to take care of her the rest of her life. I got a feeling that she had things returned exceeding abundantly above and beyond all she could ask or think because she gave to give and they gave to get and she walked out that day. Can you imagine? Wherever the gospel is preached, she's mentioned because she was a Caleb, a great heart. She was a little precious saint that was marked by the love of God. And that's what our Lord shows us on the cross. We always talk about the blood covenant and the blood shed. That's the great broken heart, and we represent him. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will not be timid in the next six months wherever you go. And when the news on the television, when the economy, and when every reality shouts to be your primary reality, that you will say with Caleb, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. nope, sorry, thank you. We've heard your report. We've heard what the devil said. Remember, remember Habakkuk says, I heard what the circumstances say. I'm going to the uh, tower of, uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to hear what the Lord says to me about this. I was just telling one of our precious souls in the church, I said, you know, Paul puts it, it as only Paul can put it. 
He said, when you give, whatever, financial, time, money, whatever it is, he said, is it impelled, compelled, or freely chosen? Those are the three categories. Every time you accept a lunch, a dinner, an obligation, you know what I mean. Something you commit to in a moment of fevered passion, and later you go, I would rather have my fingernails removed without anesthesia than have lunch with her. Why'd you do it? I know, I, I, I was swarmed. I, I was under pressure, you know. <laughs> Last time I did a wedding, someone ganged up on me. And they did this whole thing. And, and, you know, Mr. Boundaries, made of diamonds, right? I conceded. I said yes. And it was the worst experience of my life. Twice in my life, there's been no liquid in my mouth. Nigeria, first time I preached to 6,000 pastors. There was no liquid in my body. They did a test. Nothing. I couldn't blink without starting fires. Nigeria, you might have heard of them. It was 2004. I couldn't, my lips were cracked. I literally had no fluid. I don't know if you've ever been so nervous that there is no fluid in your body. And none of it around me could nurture me. It happened in Nigeria, and it happened at this wedding. Only other time. I drank nine bottles of water. <laughs> I put, as only the beauty queens know, on my lips, I put the Vaseline on the inside of my mouth. Right? That's how they used to be able to smile. And contestant number two, who is soon going to lose this contest, that's how they keep smiling because they have Vaseline in their mouth. I had Vaseline in my mouth dripping onto my tux. Nine bottles of water, and when they came to pocket belly, you know, and they finally got there, and I, I went, and the groom is going, like this, it was like, it was, I knew I wasn't supposed to go. Was it compelled, impelled, or freely chosen? It wasn't freely chosen. <laughs> Decide for yourself. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Beloved, Paul said don't even give in the offering if it's compelled from outside manipulative sources. Don't ever give if you're impelled. Oh, false sense of shame. If I don't give, I'll go to hell. Is it freely chosen? Then give your widow's might. And the Lord says, that's an open hand, that's giving to give. I will bless that. Heaven itself cannot withhold what's coming upon you. And we need to know, moving into this next season, that He is our source. And whatever resource He chooses to use, we are going to keep an open hand. Amen? When everybody else quits sowing in their field, we're going to triple down. We're going to quadruple down. We're going to say, who else can I bless? I didn't bless enough people today. What am I? And it isn't, it, it isn't giving to get because if you fall into that, it's the law of Moses. See, you just got manipulated. Okay, I'm giving to give, giving to give, giving to give, giving to give, giving to get. <laughs> God goes, that seed, I just blew one. <laughs> wow, God, you wouldn't blow on a seed. I need to let you know, Craig, if you're going to give cash and it's in your car, it's for the anointed divine appointment homeless person. It isn't for the guy smoking the Cuban cigar. With the <laughs> There's one in what's like, you know, you see him everywhere. And you, see, you, know, you, know, you see him watering his lawn later in the evening. Okay, that's the guy my dad always said all the homeless people are. 
but you and we need to be the ones who hear him. We're liberal east, west, north, south, up, down, in, out, open hand at all times. And God says in his word, it's counterintuitive. I know it, it sounds weird, but I, you're scattering but increasing. See, that doesn't make sense. I have a PhD in economics from Harvard. This won't help you. This is a kingdom principle. This belongs to God. This is God's economics. God says, <laughs> I didn't finish every example. Let me just mention, if, if you're listening, exaltation through humility, that's a paradox. Strength through weakness, that's a paradox. Receiving through giving, a big paradox. Freedom through servitude. Oh, there's another one. We're his servants. We willingly commit everything we are, and we serve him with all that we are, and we are the free ones. We are the trains on the track going 100 miles an hour, fulfilling its destiny, and the world goes, you're bound on those tracks. We're free. You know, the trains sideways with their wheels rolling are free, and we're bound. Au contraire, third generation, we are free. But you're giving everything away. We are liberated. Our needs are met. Gaining through losing. That's another one. Living through dying. That one sounds encouraging. Remember Jesus, our Lord? Verily I tell you, unless the kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Finding through losing. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What, what's going on? God, you see, the more you hang out around the great big heart of God's generosity, you start thinking like he does, and you start acting like he does, and you look a little crazy in this culture. In fact, we always look crazy. Why? Because we're giving to undeserving people, like our Savior. Jason Upton wrote a worship song called, I Want to Love Like That. He said, you gave all that you had and you were stripped naked and you were killed and you gave everything away. I want to love like that. I want to be a generous, open-handed soul. If they say anything about me, they're going to know I sinned in the ditch of generosity versus the ditch of parsimony. You don't want to be a tight-fisted person because first, no one's coming to the memorial Like they didn't show up to help you with the bed sores in the home. There's a mystery to my history. No, no, you've been a tight-fisted person. Betty O'Neill was my secretary for 31 years. Betty told me about a dear friend of hers who was about 85 at the time. I said, she's quite a pill. And Betty said, oh, no, 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 no. She's always been a pill. She was a pill at 20. She just doesn't have her youth to hide it anymore. See, I, I was assuming the best spin, like, you know, she got older, a little Alzheimer's, a touch of real life, tends to rough you around there. She goes, oh, no, 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 she was a pill at 20. She was tight-fisted, not giving to anyone, doing anything except what she's doing now then. And guess what Betty O'Neill was? She was always an open-handed, wasn't she? A liberal soul. And God met her needs to her dying day. And she flourished like an herb whose roots plant, were planted in the house of God. But she didn't have any trappings the world would look at to say, Betty O'Neill, a legend. She's a legend in heaven. Everybody wants to live like Mick Jagger and get Betty O'Neill's reward. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> God bless you, Mick. We love you. We love you. And if you feel led, if we feed you, Mick, feed us. Listen to this phrase, when God reigns, it pours. R-E-I-G-N-S. 
when God reigns. You see, Caleb received his dream fulfillment, and Caleb gives away the entirety. He doesn't just give something away, you know, like uh, we are here to read Caleb's will. And to my great, great grandchild, Lucy, he steps aside from his position of leadership, bequeaths it to Othniel, whose name means the lion of God. The dog picks a lion, the faithful dog. Gives his whole ministry to uh, uh, the one who follows up and to his baby girl. It says he gave her a dowry. He gave her some land, but she came back. She said, Papa, says she came up on her donkey and lighted off the donkey. And, and, and Caleb did what every daddy's girl's daddy does. Malach, what do you need, baby? I still talk like that. Rebecca mocks me every day. Oh, do the baby need something? Arwen will be here tomorrow, and she comes in. And I go, did you have breakfast? Do you need something? She goes, oh, did the baby have breakfast? Did the baby? I'm sorry. That's why daddy's, daddy's girl's dad's talk. And he saw Asa, and he says, baby, my little trinket, my little anklet girl, what do you need? She goes, daddy, <laughs> You gave me a parcel of land, and I thank you for it. But I, I want to be like you, Daddy. I want to be able to not just have land, but I want to be able to plant and harvest and water that land, and I want a foothold in that land. I want to be as fruitful as Eshkol itself is that first set your heart ablaze. Give me springs. And it says he didn't just give her springs. He gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This was the fantasy of his life, his whole life. He was kept alive for 38 years, dreaming and fantasizing about those upper and lower streams. And he gave them away in a blink of an eye because he's an open-handed, generous man. And that generosity, beloved, hear me well, that generosity, that incarnate expression, that person who was generous, poured the water of the Holy Spirit out through Caleb into Othniel and his daughter, and they were the first judges in Israel, and it stemmed the tide for 40 years of the decline of the third generation. Generosity. When someone doesn't deserve it, did you deserve the mercy of God? Does Jesus owe you something? I'm sorry, where is, where is that? He owed you something? He gave himself away. And then he says, by the way, I just want you to know I did that. I'm not telling you to do anything, but if you ever want, like salvation, whatever, it's here. And he walks off. and He, he gives it, and he leaves it up to us. Isn't that beautiful? It's like, that's for me? Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm not going to, I'm going to stand at the door and knock. I'm not going to force myself on anybody. It's up to you. But I just want you to know it's all here. It's all yours. Just have your Isn't that beautiful? That kind of generosity is supposed to seize us in a way like only love can. We receive that mercy we do not deserve. And my God, all I want to do is pour water on the lives of undeserving people. I, I don't want justice for anybody. I want mercy for me, so I pour mercy out everywhere I go. Son of David, have mercy on me. Freely I receive. Freely I give. I give you mercy. Amen. I may not let you move in with me or something. I may draw a boundary, but I'm going to be merciful about it. I'm going to be nice. You know, in the Civil War, brothers, shot brothers, you don't have to hate the enemy you're killing. 
you can be praying and sobbing while you do what you need to do, even if it involves boundaries. Do you see, the kingdom of God is that of generosity. This next move of the Holy Spirit is going to be a pure move of the goodness and generosity of God the Father, poured out upon undeserving lives, but he wants to use some folk. Are we available? Come on, do we have open hands? Does he know that there's no point that, we, that our dreams come true, that we're going to build big barns to contain it and to have it? Do you notice the difference here? There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who know that God is at the center and everything they have is from him, therefore they are generous, and there are some fools who think it's theirs. I earned this. I got this. I'm building barns. I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm not going to give a bloody soul. Remember Scrooge just sat home, counted his money? (sighs) Just seductively, sensuously counted his money, and he had that false illusion that he was safe. Did you know money doesn't bring you security and it doesn't bring you identity? The two things the devil says, if you have this, you're safe. Nothing will ever touch you. Doesn't that feel nice? Yeah, security's good. But if you're resting in your identity on what you have, you can lose that overnight. Remember, you are the beloved of the Lord. You're not what you have. You're not what you can do. You're not what other people say about you. You are the beloved of the Lord on whom his favor rests because he has fixed his eyes upon you, and that is his choice. And isn't that just effortless? But you see, if you're leaning on something you have, then when you don't have it, then I guess you're screwed. And if you're leaning on a talent or a gift and ability and it doesn't work anymore, if you throw that baseball with your right arm and you have a stroke and can't use your right arm anymore, I guess you're nothing. But you see, in the kingdom of God, we are not based on what we have, what we can do, and what other people think of us. We're open-handed, free agents in the kingdom. And God knows. I know an old gentleman. He had the largest privately owned Napoleon private item collection on earth. He was so wealthy, you know, that God would say, you know, we need a little something here. I'm wondering if we could. But did you know, you know what was unique about this gentleman? I won't mention his name because he's too well known. He wasn't addicted to things. He could care less. He had a bunker under his house with all these private Napoleon items and nobody even came in. He just enjoyed them himself, but it was not in an idolatrous way. He died, of course, and his sons took everything and sold it all on the open market. You know, little crows waiting on his shoulder. <laughs> Did you know a parent can have an open hand, but you can give your fortune to a fool that comes along with a closed fist? Don't make me preach that. Remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, a man works his whole life to give it to an idiot child who spends it in one year. That's the difference between an open hand and a clenched fist. But in the kingdom, we want to be seen as generous. In giving our knowledge, our wisdom, our humor, our time, our love. You only have 168 hours a week, beloved. We all have 168 hours a week. What we do with those hours is important. But you know, I heard W.A. Criswell, an old saint once, he was so sweet. He was a grandfatherly figure, preached his entire life. And Chris Will used to say, he made it so easy. He said, you know, just love Jesus and do anything for him. 
Hold the door open for people at church. Just do that for Jesus. Clean the toilet. Anything. Wave at people. You don't have to do some big thing. There's no heavy lifting thing. This is just you being sweetness and light wherever you happen to be. You be old Paul Paul, they think is crazy, but Paul Paul can smile. He can wear his Jesus cross, big old cross, weigh him down and be smiling. <laughs> And everybody goes, oh, isn't he sweet? Actually, God will reach more people by accident through Paul Pow than he will on purpose through some preachers that are in the pulpit for 40 years. Present company excluded. <laughs> Paul Pow ain't going to outfruit me. Anyway, <laughs> and that's where Craig fell right then. Do you see that? Did you see that? He was fine up until then. He gave to get. <laughs> no, Paul Pow. Gretchen rebuked Paul Pow. <laughs> I'm closing. But you know what? You have no, I'm, I'm so excited. I know where we're going the next two weeks. I'm so excited. I have 37 pages of notes that I thought I was going to do today. And the Lord just skimmed this one tithe off the top and said, no, no, I want you to talk only about Caleb, the generous heart, the big heart. Because the generosity that we show is what's going to set us above everyone else. Notice Proverbs eleven twenty five says, He that waters shall be watered also. She that waters shall be watered also. Are you just pouring everything you have out on everyone God points you to pour out on? Great. The angels themselves are rejoicing in heaven. Do you know what the Bible says? Every angel in heaven rejoices over one person who repents. Not just gets saved but who repents. Every time you say, God, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sorry. I choose your way. Please, Jesus, help me. I don't want to look at that anymore. God, help me. All the angels rejoice because you just repented. You just changed your mind. So what, what are they doing when we are pouring out the abundant water of life with an open hand on everyone, east, west, north, south, up, down, in, out? I mean, hell itself goes, oh, she's up again. Dang. He's up again. Why? Because every, we don't need to scream in a bullhorn, you know, and be a weirdo. But you do need to smile to everyone, be open to everyone, be generous, be kind, be gracious. Just the milk of human kindness, thank you, is enough. Preaching the gospel is one beggar showing another beggar where he found bread. That's all. You're not a have and they're a have not. I gloriously sit upon my throne and pick at you nobodies. No. It's, can I help you with the door? Have you ever noticed that? You're at Starbucks and, and almost everybody will hold that door for you. Milk of human kindness. They're made in the image of God. They're image bearers. It's proof they're made in God's image. If we were just beasts and your great ancestress was a baboon, we wouldn't be holding doors for people. Well, it's a social convention. No, no. How do we all know that if someone falls down, you help them up? Unless you're in Rome, me, coming out of a church and fell right on your head. They stepped over me to get to the Vatican. Nine priests <laughs> stepped over me. <laughs> I'm laying in Rome going, oh, oh, that was, oh. <laughs> Nobody. Usually, though. People will reach out and just open doors, hold the door, say good morning. Why? Because that's the milk of human kindness, and we're made in the image of God, and we know that that's how we treat other image bearers. As Christians, we should be so many steps above that in our liberality and in our generosity. Amen. Caleb is our incarnate expression. You know, you don't need to see a million good men. You just need to see one. <laughs> 
You don't need to see a million good women. You need to see one. One. You don't need to see a million good marriages. You need to see one. Because that's an incarnate expression. A principle becomes a person, and then you go, oh, that's how I want to be. Everyone in my life that has marked my personal life and ministry is somebody like that, an incarnate expression of delight, humor, intellect, generosity, and I was drawn to them like a ship to a lighthouse, and they fed me, and they poured into me, and when I was done with that, he moved me on to a new lighthouse. Did you know what? God will bring you into somebody's ministry for a while, and then he'll take you out because he wants to feed you something else, but it's still going to be you drinking and receiving and your land being watered like a well-watered garden. When people leave you, are they well-watered? How many of you remember who Orson Welles is? Orson Welles was one of the most brilliant, finite minds that ever lived. Revolutionized film history. Was a legend at 25, 26 years of age. Could have just died then. But he was a he was a raconteur. He was a he was a bon vivant. He was he was the great. Go on Dick Cavett YouTube and watch Dick Cavett interview Orson Welles, one of the most fascinating human beings you will ever hear hold forth and talk. And there's no he's not doesn't bamboozle you. He's not being arrogant. He's not being self-centered. But he knew everyone. He knew Churchill. He knew FDR. He knew everyone. Marlena Dietrich said, "When Orson speaks to you, it's like a plant being watered." I heard that and I said, I want somebody to say that about me. A plant being watered, liberal, generous, gracious, caring. And when you leave them, you're better off. When you leave them, your flowers are shining before the the world. Be that generous heart. Amen. And that's what's going to affect the next generation. Even beyond signs and wonders, you could do signs and wonders and be a curmudgeon. Take that sign and wonder, third generation. (laughs) Okay, now the sign and wonder just became an abomination of desolation because of you. It's got to be joyous. It's got to be winsome. It's got to be wonderful. It's got to be heightenedly alive. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who is at a wedding feast. The kingdom of God is like a man who discovers a billion dollars by accident. The kingdom of God is like every example he gave was a blessed, effusive, wondrous thing. Never was it the kingdom of God is though dental work is being done and you will like it. Those are all of his servants. The impressive clergyman. God, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Who gave the butter dish to Belshazzar and the tent peg to the house of Rashomon and took the little bits of little goats and placed them in tiny pots. Thus ended the scripture. That's what people think we are and the Bible is. But you can become the one big heart that they go I hate Christianity but I love her I don't know what it is I hate religion but I love David Logan I don't know what it is but they can go on and on all day whenever they talk I feel like I'm being watered (laughs) oh father we thank you for your great and generous heart we thank you oh precious precious one 
O maker of a hundred billion trillion galaxies, you sustain them all. And Lord Jesus, you hold all things together by the word of your power, but you are this great, who is the God of heaven, the most generous being who has ever been and ever will be. And you assumed flesh to extend your scattering of everything you were in order to win your precious sons and daughters who are listening to the sound of my voice. Lord, your precious children, your precious lambs, your precious daughters. Oh, you adore your girls, Lord. The oxes, the little anklet bracelets. You love your babies. Lord, bless your daughters, Lord. You love your boys. You love your little boys, Lord. You're so extravagant to us. You're so generous. We just pray, God, that as we freely receive, that we would freely give, that we would be windows to eternity. Oh, Lord Jesus, please let us be. Let us serve the great brokenhearted God and be the great generous heart of our neighborhood, of our family, of our generation. Thank you, Father. Lord, we will, we, will, we will acknowledge everything we have as of you. And we will give cheerfully as you love cheerful givers, Lord. Open-handed, Craig, open-handed men and women and boys and girls, let that be us, O oh God. And Lord, if we've, if we've involuntarily clenched our fist and now it's frozen and we're, we've had a spiritual stroke and we just can't, open up that withered hand. Gretchen, walk around and pray for everybody and pray for the camera and everybody watching. Right now, beloved, just hold your hand before Lord. I pray for everyone, Lord, anyone in our midst, anyone staring in, looking in God, that maybe maybe life has just took a turn and maybe they've just been burnt too many times. <laughs> maybe they've just been hit too many times. And they're just clenching their fists and they're saying, I cannot trust again. I cannot open again. I got to hold on to what I have. Beloved, when we try to hold on to relationships, we manipulate and control and the people leave us. When we try to manage our children to become helicopter parents, they leave us. We lose everything. I pray that you will not be someone your children must leave. You will not be someone your spouse must leave. You will not be a clenched-fisted person who in an attempt to matter, to have identity and security that you've grasped on to nothing. Lord, blow upon our hands and let them open again. Pour your warm tears, Lord, of compassion and healing and let our relational hands open again, God. You've been hurt in love, but you can, God can open your heart again. You've been wounded by ministries, but you can open your hand again. Just because you've been hurt doesn't mean that you clench your fist forever. Lord, open, open, Lord, anything closed. Our hearts, our lives, our finances, whoever we are, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, Lord, that you would open our hand, that you are the God who heals the withered hand, Lord. Jesus, you said to the man with the withered hand, stand in the midst and stretch forth thine hand. And I just say in your name, Lord, for your beloved daughter and son to stretch forth thine hand. And you'll find it as whole as the other. What you've been doing in life with one hand, you can now do with two. Look at how much more you can accomplish with two hands open before God. And Lord, we do. We just raise our hands, our open hands to you today. 
Lord, our hands are open now. We can receive whatever it is that you want to give us. And Lord, you can remove anything because we're not holding on to any person or place or thing or stuff. We are open, Lord. Now, God, use both of our hands for your glory. Both of our hands for, for blessing others, Lord. Let our generous smiles and our generous eyes match generous hands, Lord, to change this third generation with your love and your mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And praise God. David is back with us with the table of the Lord. Can we greet our dear brother? We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.